Well, welcome to the show. This is the podcast for great communicators and people who are interested in communication. And each week I'm talking to someone who approaches communication from a slightly different direction. So we've had PR people, we've had novelists, we've had playwrights, we've had uh, actors, comedians, and of course business people. And it's very important on this podcast about business leadership and how leaders cut through to talk to some actual CEOs who are running businesses in different sectors of the economy and doing so many interesting things. And I'm delighted that I am here today with Hazel Moore. Hello, Hazel. Hi, Mike. Great to be here too. And thanks for agreeing to come on the podcast. And you are the chair and co-founder of a business called First Capital. And rather than me get it wrong, why don't you just tell us what it does? So First Capital is a business that I co-founded almost 20 years ago now. We are a tech specialist investment bank, uh, which means that we work with growth technology businesses across Europe to help them achieve their uh, ambitions, achieve their strategic goals. And typically that um, is either for a founder or CEO who's built a business to a certain stage and wants to sell that business, possibly to a trade buyer, possibly to a financial buyer, perhaps to um, you know, to, to, to pass on to the next generation of management, um, or sometimes it's to help companies raise money to expand internationally or to make an acquisition. Yeah, and so when, when you started this business up, did you, did you just wake up one morning and think, I wanna, I'm an entrepreneur and I want to set something up? How did, how, did it, how did it happen? <laughs> so that's a really interesting question. I, I studied a, a technical degree at university, and uh, I think it's safe to say that my career has not developed in the way that uh, I thought it would when I was uh, studying. I thought I'd be a captain of industry. Um, but I went to work in Hong Kong through a series of circumstances and was immersed in the incredible culture and environment um, in Asia, um, very entrepreneurial um, and, and just very exciting. And then uh, I came back to work in the city for a while and, and, and found it, um, by, by contrast, quite sort of uh, stifling. And so the, when um, founded First Capital, it was really a, a, an attempt to capture the, the excitement and the entrepreneurial spirit um, of what was then the industry, uh, sorry, Internet 1.0 um, that I'd experienced in, in, in Hong Kong. Um, but um, uh, you know, also to, um, uh, to to build on the skills that I had, which was you know I had a, a, a technical background and, and I knew um, about finance and investment. So this was a business that was was forged in the in the, the dot com boom, I suppose we, we called it back then. Uh, it was it and very then there much was a dot com bust, of course, but <laughs> you clearly survived that in some. We're way. still here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, the business plan that we wrote when we started the business was uh, within uh, a very short period of time not worth the paper it was written on. Um, and that's an incredible business lesson, to be honest, because uh, you have to um, win customers, you have to take your employees with you, um, and you have to survive um, through through you know the good times and the bad. So we learned some valuable business lessons over that period. Interesting. So is it pointless doing a business plan? Or, I mean, if things change so rapidly, and once well, you I, get going? A business plan is a guide. It is not a Bible. Um, and I think the, the really important thing is it's super important to write a business plan because you have to have an idea of where you're going, um, a vision, a strategy, and then you have to kind of operationalize that and figure out what am I going to do next week, next month, next quarter. Um, but the really important thing is to also be flexible to business conditions and to customers and to be able to um, uh, be flexible and, and adapt to what you find when you're out there in the market. And you've clearly done that 
well and you're a successful entrepreneur and, and, a, and a business leader and you've through your work you've met goodness knows how many other successful entrepreneurs who are selling their businesses building their businesses and and doing all sorts of fascinating things from your experience of the past 20 years or, or, or however long you've, you've been operating what are the what are the qualities of a good business leader in your view so you're absolutely right, and one of the things I love about my job is that we do meet all sorts of entrepreneurs and CEOs, and, and they come in all sorts of different um, uh, uh, shapes, sizes, colors, genders, you know, all sorts of diversity um, in, in that kind of uh, cohort. I think one of the things for me that defines success is that um, a business leader has to be a great communicator. They have to know how to take people with them. But really, really importantly, they have to know what their strengths and weaknesses are and to build a great team around them. And so there are really good leaders um, that have you know, certain skills. There are really good leaders that have other skills. But as long as they can build a cohesive team that complements them and really what you're looking for is, is, is that ability of the team to execute. So somebody who can... Um, attract really good people around them um, it, for me is one of the, the key defining characteristics and that's um, that's back to the old thing of kind of um, was I can't remember if it was maybe it was Jim Collins or, or one of these writers about who, who do you get on the bus with you is the, is the important thing as yeah. a leader it's not it's not you doing everything it's assembling a great team where you've got people who are all the things that you're not <laughs> um, as well as ho- hopefully reinforcing some of the things that you are and and that you empower them to to deliver as well I mean you know I can think of, of some examples of, of hugely talented um, individuals who actually built teams of good people around them but then didn't empower them to do anything and therefore as a as a as an organization they were less successful um, and and so it, it, it really is about being able to take people with you, as you say, to, to, to be the person who gets on the bus and people want to get on the bus with you. And that's not necessarily about being, you know, super charismatic, a brilliant public speaker, um, an amazing media performer. I mean, I guess that people approach this, this, this sort of job in all sorts of different ways and can be effective in different ways, depending on their own character. Is that your experience? Absolutely. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. And... So are there then any qualities that you could you could sort of narrow it down and identify whether it's, I don't know, resilience or decisiveness or um, clarity? You know, we get these kind of words, and I suppose ultimately they don't mean a heck of a lot. But um, have you thought about any kind of common common themes with the, the leaders and the businesses that you've, you've found to be most interesting and most successful? Well, so I think to be an entrepreneur, and perhaps I would just distinguish an entrepreneur from leader, which mm. is, I think, um, because I think there are certain characteristics for, for successful entrepreneurs. Um, I mean, they, they have to be pretty determined and pretty resilient. Um, you know, when you found a business, it's often just, you know, you and one or two other people in a room, and you've literally got no support system around you. You've, you, you, you've got to kind of uh, forge... Uh, your your own path in taking things forwards and really kind of roll your sleeves up and get things done. So there's there's, there's definitely that that element of drive and passion um, and and resilience to to knockbacks because there are always knockbacks um, that that I think is really important in an entrepreneur. But but also being able to communicate a vision and an idea and a passion 
um, and for people to buy into that that's super important as well because you're always selling effectively as an entrepreneur you're selling to potential employees because you've got nothing you know you've got to take them with you they've got to believe in you you're selling to investors because you might want their money um, so that you've got the resources to to to, to do what you need to do Um, you're selling to customers and you may not yet have a product and you've got to get them to believe in you as well um, so that ability to communicate is, is massively important for an entrepreneur as well. And you've put your finger on, on something I, I believe very strongly, which is the importance of belief, you know, belief in, in what you do and feeling strongly and passionately about that will be so much more important than all sorts of other communications qualities. I mean, if someone stands up on a stage and they give a talk and they really seem to care about what they're talking about, they believe in their, in their business... That's already, you know, better than most vast majority of speeches. And so if you do nothing else, just figure out what you believe in and try to convey that, I guess, is one thing. Well, I think it was Steve Jobs um, said, and i probably slightly paraphrasing, um, he said, basically, do what you love. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's a super important sort of lesson in life, um, to be motivated um, about what it is that you do so that you get up in the morning and you want to come to work and, and, and put your 100% of your effort into it. And you've got to, I suppose, because it's so hard and it's, you know, building a business is tough, right? Yes, it is tough. And, and you, there, if you don't love it, you, you won't stay the distance and you won't get anywhere. Exactly right. So what's your own approach to to leadership communications? I mean, I see that you're you're very you're out there doing kind of TED style talks and conferences and you, you've made yourself um, you know, sort of available to various audiences is, is that important for you or is it just something that you enjoy doing when the opportunity comes up? I think it's a combination of both, I think you have to enjoy it to do it frankly um, but I, I, you know I'm always um, uh, I, I like to push comfort zones a little mm. bit as well so um, you know sometimes when you you get up on stage and there's a whole bunch of people in front of you. You've got that kind of moment before you start talking um, that, and, and the adrenaline that, 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 that pushes you on. But I think from a, you know, as the, the, the leader of a business, um, you know, we're a growing business. Um, we, are, we are deliberately putting ourselves out there to build our brand in the marketplace, to communicate what we do to customers and potential customers. Um, and to um, and, and, and to expand. So I think there's the the, the external facing communications to um, out to the marketplace, but there's also the internal communications to to the team and the employees to to keep everybody on side. Yeah, and what just on the external stuff first of all, what, what have you found to be the most effective way of 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 reaching people, you know, potential clients and, and others over the years? Is it all about old-fashioned networking or you know has social media completely changed it from your perspective so i well what i think is great about social media is that it gives you a new set of tools um i don't think it replaces the old tools but it does expand your arsenal of of of, um, media that you can use to reach people so i i think that for me it's a mix it's a mix of the good old-fashioned one-to-one networking um, the the slightly more broadcast formats that you have in um, giving a, a keynote at a conference or, or something like that, um, and then um, 
some of the social media tools are, are incredibly effective, um, but it, it depends a little bit on, on, on your target audience and what you're trying to do. I mean, ours is a business-to-business um, uh, company, so we use uh, LinkedIn a lot um, to communicate with people and to connect with people. We use Twitter um, more as individuals in terms of building our voice and, uh, and our sort of thought leadership rather than as a corporate tool. I don't think Twitter necessarily works very well as a corporate tool. But we don't use things Not like... for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, have, I just don't know what to do with it. It just seems a complete mess. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, LinkedIn's a bit more um, link, link, sensible. LinkedIn I find quite effective, actually. Yeah. And But Facebook and Instagram and things like that, we don't use at all. No, no, no. Um, very wise, probably. And, and I noticed you, you've um, got a... Um, well, you talk about smart deal-making, and, and just, just tell us a bit about what that means from your perspective, because I think it's quite interesting, and you, you mentioned thought leadership, about having something which is, is identifiably your approach. So just, just talk me through that and, and how you came up with it. So smart deal-making really embodies how we go about um, delivering our services to our clients. And smart breaks down the process of, of doing a transaction into five pieces. S is for strategic positioning, M is for marketing, A is for access, R is for rigorous negotiation, and T is for transaction close. And they are the steps that we go through when we work with a client from starting the engagement and figuring out what am I trying to do? If I'm trying to sell the business, who am I selling it to? What's my story? How do I reach them? How do, I, how do I sort of negotiate and close the deal? I think the thing for First Capital that um, is particularly uh, distinctive about our services is the strategic positioning piece. I mean, there are, um, you know, we never approach um, a client in a kind of a cookie-cutter type way. We, we, we really think through, because we're working with technology businesses and technology changes so rapidly mm. um, the the difference between getting your positioning right and getting it wrong can mean millions of pounds of value tens of millions of pounds of value so we spend a lot of time talking to um, the big acquirers the big tech businesses and we have an office out in Silicon Valley we're, we're, we're talking to investors we're really understanding the, um, the, the the trends and the strategic sort of drivers in the market and then we bring that back with our clients and we say okay what it, who who is you know what is it that you do and why is that valuable and who is it valuable to and mm. we, we really kind of kick the tires around that strategic positioning piece until we're happy with that we've got the right messaging that we then target the right buyers in with 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 materials that communicate the story in a very articulate articulate and compelling way um, that resonate with the buyer and then we you know, run a probably slightly more classical process around um, contacting the buyers, setting up meetings, negotiating yeah. the deals, closing so the interesting. So, so the, the clarity on, this, on the story um, of, as you say, asking some of these, well, they might appear straightforward questions, you know, what do you do, why do you do it, and all that, but actually if you're not standing outside of your business, and maybe a lot of people in the tech world are, are quite sort of geeky, and I don't know, I mean, you know them better than I do, but just just to get clarity on their story in a way that an investor will look at it and think, ah, oh, that's that's right, that's what we need right now. And, and that's, that's quite a difficult process. 
it, it is, and we ask lots of, you know, probably quite stupid questions. But why? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and who is that important? And why do you think it's important to them? And, and, um, uh, and really challenge our clients on their strategy. Um, and then I, th- I think the other part of it is then being able to articulate that in language that is meaningful for the buyer or for the investor. Because there's a lot of companies that are really great at their product and at their business, but they don't necessarily think about how does that come across to the person that I'm talking to? And is that, am I saying that in language that they're going to understand and that will resonate with them? And so you know, we, we, we help to bridge that language gap, really thinking about how does this sound to somebody? Do they care? Mm. You know, what is it that I need to say to make them care? So it's interesting that you're, you're in, a, in, I suppose, finance in, in a way, but, but so much of it does come down to communication. Mm, absolutely, it does. Because at the end of the day, the deal business is a people business. And um, in order to, to, to sell your business to somebody or to raise finance from somebody, you've got to excite the other party about what it is that you're doing and, and make them want it. Um, and then make them want it enough that they're going to go off internally and be the project sponsor and convince all of their colleagues that they want it too. And so communication is a massive part of and it. And does it all come down to you know, a half an hour pitch in a room at times or is, is the process more, usually more drawn out and sophisticated than that? Well, first impressions definitely matter. Mm. Um, and, and that ability to be able to uh, have your first half hour meeting and, 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 and leave the room with the other person wanting more um, and drawing them into the process. Um, so, so, you know, it, it, it really it starts with that half hour pitch. It doesn't end there, um, but that's a super important part of it. And you say that, you know, it's all, it's all, about, it's all about people and that, that's interesting. And how, how important, if you're the founder or the CEO of a, a tech company, say, how, how important is your story, your personal connection to the business? Or are, are most investors, they're not really valuing the personality of the the CEO, they're valuing what this business is and its revenues and its costs and all the usual metrics? Um, I, think, I mean, that's an interesting question. At the end of the day, investors um, are in it, you know, their business is to make a financial return. Mm. They make an investment and they want to sell that investment down the line for a lot more than they paid for it. Um, and the CEO of the business, insofar as he or she helps make that investment a success... Um, is is a really important part of it. At the point at which they no longer help make that a success, then most investors are going to um, look for a way of of, of bringing in uh, somebody who will. Um, So it can be quite cutthroat from that perspective. Um, But it it depends a little bit where you are in the spectrum because not all investors are the same. There's a massive sort of uh, spectrum of different investment styles and, and ideas and very often at the earliest stages of the business, um, when the venture capitalists come in, they are backing the founder, they are backing the founder's vision and, 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 and energy. And then as you go, as the business gets more established and you go down the line, then it becomes a little bit more, okay, you know, what's the right, is, is, is the founder still the right person to be the CEO or do we need to bring in somebody different? Yeah. And that's a difficult question, I guess, to ask at, at times. Um, Banking. In, I mean, obviously, you know, people have, have, you know, since the financial crisis, banking, mainstream banking, has had quite a difficult time and has been massively disrupted by, by all sorts of fintech challenges. I'm just interested in your, your view of, of the state of the market now and um, 
it's a broad question, but wh- where have we got to in this whole disruptive cycle that we seem to be partway through? Oh, I think we're really only just at the beginning. If you think about how much some industries have been disrupted by the internet, travel, hotels, retail, I mean, all sorts of things where um, consumers will, will, will go first online to, to buy whatever, whatever it is that they want to buy or, or, or you know, find the service that they're looking for. And really, financial services is, is uh, at, taking baby steps at the moment. I think I saw something relatively recently that said that only 1% of loans globally are made online. I mean, there's no reason why that shouldn't be a fully automated online process. So, so I think there's enormous um, scope and disruption yet to come. And, and what's and that's hugely exciting. Yeah, yeah, d- definitely, for, for, for in lots, so many different ways. But w- what's holding it back? I mean, it, obviously, we're all quite sticky as customers to our to our bank accounts and it's quite hard to, to change things and and we we tend to trust a, a big bank with a with a big shiny building rather than you know something some website i, I mean what in, in your view is slowed down the pace of disruption well so it's interesting you say that because actually there are all sorts of surveys of millennials now where they say that they would trust the big tech, you know, your Apples, your Googles, your, your, your Amazons, they would trust them more as a brand than they would trust their banks. And that's definitely a legacy from the financial crisis. So I think um, uh, this idea that, 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 that banking institutions are you know, um, trusted, immutable, immovable institutions actually is, is, is changing and changing quite fast, particularly for young people. And they're much more open to adopting new services that are delivering them the instantaneous service, the convenience, the flexibility, the mobile experience that, that they're, they're looking for. Um, so I think the rate of adoption is, is picking up. One of the things that's holding things back is that, by and large, the banks have a, um, a legacy infrastructure. A lot of the technology that, that, that um, powers the banks is 30, 40 years old, um, and it's very, very difficult to modernise and, and, and to replace that. And so it's, that's, a, uh, from a risk perspective for the, for the banks, um, a, a huge risk. Yes, indeed. Uh, let, let's talk about le- um, lessons and, and things that you've, you've learned during your career and experiences maybe that you want to pass on to other people. Um, I noticed you, you've... you've You've won some several awards, Women in Finance Awards and, um, yes. and a few others. Just talk about women and the gender, or well, has also a lot of coverage of gender pay gap and, and related issues in recent months. What's your perspective on where we're at with women in finance and what needs to happen now? Oh, this is a topic I could go on for hours. Uh, I am absolutely passionate about... Um, women in tech, women in finance. Um, in, in the job that I do um, in tech, investment banking for you know, businesses that are largely serviced by venture capital and private equity, it's really a, almost a perfect storm. There's probably maybe 5% of the decision makers in the financial community in venture capital and private equity are female in within tech businesses, 5%. something like that, yeah. it's, it's ludicrous. In in female founders um, of tech companies, similarly single digit percentages. And as for female investment bankers, I mean, don't even go there. 
Um, so it's enormously frustrating for me. Um, I think, to be honest, a lot of it comes down to culture. Mm. Um, and culture starts at the top. And I think the leadership teams in these institutions, yes, we are getting a certain amount of lip service towards greater diversity. And I talk about diversity in its broadest sense, not just gender diversity. Um, but I don't see much in terms of innovative thinking or real actual change um, that that is that is really being driven from the top. Certainly within the the, the, the private equity venture capital community, change is glacially slow from a from a gender perspective and there, uh, there are cultural issues and there are obviously issues you know as, as we progress our fit our careers and with families and so on but what about at the entry level i mean do you do you think that um finance and tech are often just not things that that women want to do or think careers that would suit them i mean is, is there is there a problem right at the beginning i guess we go all the way back to to school and and how we structure our education well, so I think there are two different questions there. One is around finance and one is around tech. Um, in finance, the entry-level um, stats for, for women and men are actually not that bad. Um, and, um, I mean, it depends what part of finance you're in, but in investment banking, it's entry-level, you know, is somewhere between 30 and 40%. The issue is the dropout rate. The dropout rate for women is much, much higher than it is for men. And one of the reasons for that, in my opinion, is that um, basically a lot of investment banks aren't very nice places for women to work. Very competitive. Once they've had kids or just... No, no, just in general. I don't think kids come into it. Mm. Um, They are very, very competitive, testosterone-driven, hard-charging sort of places. And frankly, I think probably a lot of men don't really like that either, but, you know, they sort of play the game. It just seems outdated. It just seems like Wall Street in the 1980s or something. But uh, we don't think we've moved on that much. I don't think we've really moved on that much. Um, And so, you know, I think there is a responsibility for senior management to look at the kind of culture that they are breeding in these sorts of places and think, is that a... A culture that um, you know that it that is sufficiently um, encompassing of of, you know, of of different ways of working. Um, in tech, it's a slightly different um, issue because the, um, the the numbers of women entering the tech industry in in, in sort of technical roles um, is is I think much smaller and and you know and, and there's a real focus there in terms of promoting STEM subjects in, in schools and um, you know to really you know, get more young women young girls um, interested in technical careers. And what's your advice to anyone um, at an early stage in their career who, well maybe they, they think they're an entrepreneur and they think I'll, I'll set up um, an investment business or a tech business possibly more likely um, what would you say, is there any kind of nuggets of wisdom that you could, you could pass on um, well, mostly I would say just do it. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? You lose everything. <laughs> Fall flat on your face. Well, yeah, but but if, you're, you, you know, you, you, if you're a young person just starting in your career, you, you know, the, the, if, if things don't go well, a year, two years down the line, you say, okay, well, I'll do something different. Um, I think the, you know, one of, the reality is the worst thing that can happen is that you, you have regrets later on in life and you think, oh, I wish I'd done that. 
rather than you know I, I I had a safe corporate career and you know and it was all it was all fine but I really didn't follow that passion that I wanted to so yeah you know, we all know a lot of people in safe corporate jobs who always talk about starting companies and never seem to yeah. get around to it so I you know I, I think if you see an opportunity to do something that you that back to the, what we were saying earlier to do something that you love then try it I hope um, that everyone will that I we know well not everyone because we need some people to work in proper jobs Hazel thank you so <laughs> much it's been a great conversation and I've really enjoyed it thanks for appearing on the podcast and the best of luck with everything here at First Capital and, and all your other endeavours thanks thank you very much